it's a pleasure for Margaret and myself to have been invited back here this morning to share in all that's happening. And we're now going to read God's word together. Please turn to page 1079 in the Bible that you should find near to you. Page 1079. We're reading from John's Gospel, chapter 12, and beginning at verse 12. The account of the first Palm Sunday. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Now please turn back to page 955. And to Zechariah chapter 9, beginning at verse 9. This is the original prophecy from Zechariah, which Jesus deliberately fulfilled on Palm Sunday. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit, return to your fortress, your prison, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, Zion, against your sons, Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thank you, Tony, very much. And let's pray and ask God that he would help us to understand, uh, especially the passage from John, but would also look at Zechariah. Father, please would you, by your spirit now, help us uh, with our minds to grasp the great truths here. And we pray, Lord, too, that you would help us to see what difference this needs to make in our lives. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Well, I found this, um, <clears throat> this piece this last week, which is how one preacher introduced his sermon on Palm Sunday. It was Palm Sunday and was Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. He was riding on a blazing white stallion and kicking up a cloud of dust as he rode along. He was looking for trouble. The people that he passed on his way were in awe of such a beautiful animal, but they were even more awestruck by the man who was riding it. As Jesus passed by, you could hear people say, who was that masked man? There were bad guys on the loose and Jesus had a job to do. As he rode into Jerusalem, he quickly sized up the situation and formed a plan to capture the ringleader of the troublemakers. His name was Diablo, or Satan. As a short scuffle, and Jesus won handily over Diablo, he hogtied the devil and threw him in jail. As a large crowd of people gathered to see what the commotion was all about, Jesus mounted his horse and pulled on the reins. A stallion stood on its hind legs, neighed loudly, and poured the air with its front legs. When it stood as tall as it could stand, Jesus leaned forward in the saddle, holding the reins with one hand while lifting his white hat in the air with the other. He shouted with a loud voice, Hallelujah! And as Jesus rode off into the sunset, you could hear the William Tell Overture in the background. Now, isn't that how you would have done it if you were Jesus? It's certainly how I would have done it. Well, instead on this day, and it did happen on the Sunday before Good Friday, uh, Jesus the King rides into Jerusalem, not on a white stallion, but on a donkey. And it is the king who's arriving. The crowds, just look at the end of verse 13 here. They say, blessed is the king of Israel. That's, uh, they have been quoting from uh, uh, Psalm 118. But there, that is, that is what the crowds are taking that on. And uh, but verse 15 is a quote. It says, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. A king is coming to his capital. The king is coming and he's on his way to his death. But what kind of a king is he? Now, there are a number of descriptions of Jesus here. There are a number of reactions to Jesus here which make us uh, think, what kind of, what king? What's he like? What are the things that we should be focusing on here? And as there are a number of them here, well, I've called it what, uh, what flavor king. That's probably not the best way of putting it. But uh, we're thinking about, uh, there are a whole variety, a whole range of things here about Jesus and questions that we need to look at now. Uh, we see from Jesus, we hear things from the crowd. We hear things from the religious leaders. We hear things from the Old Testament here. And a whole range of reactions and descriptions of Jesus. You see, it's a bit like going to, you know, springtime. I, I'm sure a number of us had ice cream yesterday. Uh, and I'm sure down with the Brighton Marathon this morning, the, uh, the, the ice cream shops will be doing a, 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 a roaring trade, won't they? And uh, you can go into these, um, they're down on the seafront, aren't they? These ice cream shops, and there's just no end of, um, of choice. 
uh, mint choc chip or caramel and nougat or toffee apple flavoured or raspberry and vanilla and all the rest of it. And, uh, and it is here when we see in this little passage here, there's a whole range of things about Jesus. And who is, what is the real one? What is the authentic Jesus? Who is the authentic king that we have here in front of us this morning? Well, first of all, we're going to see that Jesus uh, is a resisted king, or at least that is the question in front of us. Jesus, a resisted king, a resisted king. And uh, you know, sometimes you look out at the sea, uh, maybe just here, just uh, beyond where the the waves are breaking, and it seems perfectly flat and perfectly safe to go out there swimming. And yet, we know that there can be really quite dangerous and quite nasty rip currents, rip tides there, even when the sea looks perfectly flat and perfectly calm and perfectly safe to to, uh, swim in. And here, uh, just before and at the end of our passage, there's a rip current. So you see in verse uh, 10, for instance, and verse 11, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Poor old Lazarus, he's already died once. And they're, they're, they're making plans to kill him. And when it says kill him as well, it's as well as Jesus. Because they're making plans here to kill Jesus. And now they're talking about killing Lazarus as well. Uh, for an account of many of, the, uh, of him, uh, many of the Jews are going over to Jesus and believing in him. They want to do away with him. So you see there's a, there's a dark undercurrent here. And then at the end, it's not quite so clear, but look at verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. See how the whole world has gone after him. Now in John's Gospel, when you see the word world, you need to stop and think that normally the, the original word, and it's the word that's used here, it actually is talking about the world that's organized in rebellion against God. So you've got an undercurrent here, before the passage begins, and just at the end there, you've got this whole world, which is actually, John is saying, it's organized in rebellion against gods, but here, superficially, it's going after him. So, so we see something here that um, there's a resistance to Jesus, not just from the religious leaders, not just from the, uh, uh, the chief priests in verse 10, but also from the Pharisees in verse 19. There is a, there's an undercurrent of a resistance to Jesus. They don't like what's going on. They don't like what they're seeing. They want to do away with him. And they want to do away with people who are associated with him as well. So first of all, we see a resisted king. And then second, we see what seems to be an extraordinary... That's just to remind us he's a resisted king. But we also see here uh, a popular king. A popular king. Well, do we? Well, there's a great crowd here. Verse 12, the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival. And that was a very great crowd. It's likely um, that Jerusalem was about maybe 20,000 in population. That's about, I looked up just earlier on, that's about three times the size of Hassocks. Not very big. But Josephus, the Jewish historian who was writing, what, about 30 years later, he said that in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, you got up between two and a half and three million people turning up to a place three times the size of Hassocks. There was a lot of people. It must have been unbelievably crowded. That's an awful lot of people, isn't it? Absolutely heaving. And uh, uh, you look at the end of verse 12. We don't know how they knew that Jesus was on his way, but he was. They go out to meet him. And uh, it's, it's interesting because Jesus' ministry up to this point has been 
fairly withdrawn, wanting to focus on his disciples and so on, withdrawing from the limelight and the center stage, but now he really is the focus of attention, and deliberately so. And the crowd grabbed palm branches. A couple of hundred years before, uh, these had been a symbol of the Jewish state. So, you know, if you go to Cardiff Farmers Park particularly, there we are, you see the Welsh rugby fans with their daffodils, looking ridiculous, but uh, anyway, but uh, it's all good fun, isn't it? And, uh, but if you, uh, for the Jewish state, they, they didn't have daffodils or leeks or, or whatever, but they had um, palm branches. It was, if you like, it was the, it's, the, it's the thing that they had, and they would wave it. If your, if your king was coming, you would wave the palm branches to welcome him. If there was a victorious general coming through your town, you would wave palm branches to welcome him as well. And they're using those and saying, Jesus is king. And the crowds are shouting this. So they, uh, they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel, in verse 13. It's just, he's seriously popular, isn't he? You think this is wonderful. But is it, is it that popular, do you think? Given what happened five days later? It's very easy to get carried along by a crowd to join in with the shouts and the praises, but not really to believe it. Maybe we've been that at, uh, at sports fixtures. Maybe we've been like that this morning. It's very easy, isn't it? It's easier just to, to join in with everyone else rather than to go against the flow. Well, there were a lot of people there, but was Jesus a popular king? How popular do you think he really was in people's hearts at that time? He certainly wasn't very popular on Friday. Then there's a question, was he an understood king? Was he an understood king? Did the crowds really understand Jesus? Did they really get him? Did they really see who he was? Someone's written this little ditty. They missed him. They were looking for a lion. He came as a lamb and they missed him. They were looking for a warrior. He came as a peacemaker and they missed him. They were looking for a king. He came as a servant, and they missed him. They were looking for liberation from Rome. He submitted to a Roman stake, and they missed him. They were looking for a, <clears throat> a fit to their mould. He was the mould maker, and they missed him. See, there were a number of crowds on that first Palm Sunday. There was a crowd of verse 17 here. Uh, look at verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. They were there, the crowd of believers. But then there was also the crowd of verse 18. Many people, because they heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So they'd heard about it, they were curious. There was the curious crowd. Then there's a crowd of verse 19. A crowd of Pharisees against Jesus. And then, of course, there's a crowd of verse 12, a great crowd that come to the festival. They were there. And from them, there was another crowd shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel, the carried along crowd. So on that day, and with Jesus coming into Jerusalem, we'll get to the donkey, don't worry. Uh, and on that day, there was a whole range of different people, different motives, different beliefs, different understandings. Some people got it. Some people were spreading the word. But others just had little idea. And even amongst Jesus' disciples, um, there were little idea. It says in verse 16, at first his disciples didn't understand all this. 
Only after Jesus was glorified, after next weekend, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. How much do you understand? How much do you understand about Easter? I wonder, could you, say, explain Jesus' death to someone else to tell them what happened at the cross? I wonder if someone asked you about the resurrection and why it was so important, what you would feel comfortable to say. But when we read at verse 16, at first his disciples didn't understand all this, but we are in a wonderful situation now because we're beyond Jesus' glorification. We're this side of Good Friday and Easter. We're in a position where we can understand. We can grasp this. It is, we have God's Word here to help us to understand and to grasp and to grow. And we have loads of people, good Christian people, who have written great books. So when I was a young Christian, well, not just when I was a young Christian, but one of the things when I was a young Christian were really helpful was reading Christian books which explained things and helped me to understand why Jesus died and, and about the resurrection and, and some of the, the questions and so on that people have. And I read books and learned up these things about it. And uh, I just want to encourage us to do the same, to be involved, to have a Christian book on the go all the time. We have a bookstore here. We have, we have books alive just around the corner in Elm Drive. And what a privilege to still have books alive there. Have you ever been? Why don't drop in over this Easter weekend and uh, browse around and buy a book which would help you to grow in your Christian life. An understood king? Understood by you, King? It may be that you learn better by, uh, uh, by discussing things with people and so on. And uh, in terms of understanding about Jesus, we have um, uh, more Life Explored and also Christianity Explored courses after, uh, after Easter, which will be happening uh, in order to help folks to understand more. And maybe you're not yet in that position where you would be able to make a commitment. You want to grow in your understanding a little bit more first or maybe you have made a commitment and you want to grow and that's the best way you learn so uh, do talk to Tim or to me afterwards uh, if you'd like to know more about that so an understanding um, a misunderstood king uh, an understood king which way around is it for you and then uh, we have the question a saving king verse 13 the crowd are shouting, Hosanna, which means save or Lord save now. That's a quote from Psalm 118, and verses 25 and 26. Psalm 118 was one of those psalms that the people, the Jewish people would say uh, at the Passover festival. So they would have been saying, that was probably on their minds. They were going to say those, uh, a, a group of psalms, including that one, uh, at the Passover festival. And those psalms are talking about and praising God for the Exodus, God saving his people from slavery in Egypt. And, um, and we have here a king who is coming to be the saviour. The crowd say, blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we have a king coming and coming to save. This is the arrival at his city of the rescuing, saving king on his way to die. And the way he's going to do the saving 
is on Good Friday. And then the celebrations of Easter Sunday. And on Good Friday, the saving king will give his life for the sin, for the rebellion of his people, for people like you and me. And for his death to be for us, we need to be people who accept that offer of new life and to start that new life with him and to say thank you to him that he died for us and that he is now alive and we can start a new life with him. That's why next weekend is such a fundamentally brilliant weekend for Christian people. Do join in. Come on Friday. Come on Sunday. Read your Bibles next weekend. It's going to be wonderful. A great reminder on Friday and a great celebration on Sunday of the Christian gospel, of the good news, the wonderful, fantastic news of Jesus' death and resurrection. A resisted king? Yes, he was. A popular king? Yes, to an extent, but people were very fickle. An understood king? Yes, by some, but not by many. A saving king? Yes. He is the king coming to his capital and coming to die. And then the final question is this. A gentle king? Now, this is where the donkey comes in. Uh, not literally, although there are, I know of a couple of churches locally where they do have, literally have donkeys this morning. But the crowd were expecting a great military leader coming on a white horse. That's what a, that's what a military, victorious military leader would ride, would ride. And they were expecting a revolution against the Romans to begin now. And Jesus turns up on a donkey. I mean, we expect the Queen, for instance, to arrive in a, in a Bentley, don't we? And I think we'd be rather disappointed if she turned up in a Ford Mondeo. Well, that's the equivalent of what Jesus did. He turned up on a donkey. I've got nothing against Ford Mondeos. I think they're probably quite good cars. But, um, but you know, you've got the situation here. There's coming in a donkey. Unexpected. Actually, donkeys weren't too bad. In, in the Old Testament, they're named as part of Abraham's wealth. And, uh, uh, and Jacob and uh, Job rode donkeys. And Abraham and Balaam and Abigail rode donkeys and so on. And Jesus rode a donkey. Why? Well, partly his donkey was a hosepipe. Partly Jesus' donkey was a hosepipe in order to douse the uh, uh, nationalistic expectations of the crowd and to stop a riot and all the problems that would cause with the occupying Romans. He also chose a donkey because it fulfilled the Old Testament. And that prophecy from Zechariah 9, which is verse 15, part of it, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Zechariah wrote 500 years before. And uh, if you turned up Zechariah 9, and also looked at verses 10 and 11, you'd see this, that this king coming on the donkey on the way to his death was a gentle king. Zechariah 9 tells us that Jesus was the gentle king who was coming to end war 
and to bring peace. It tells us that Jesus is the gentle king who is actually coming to reign the world. That's in Zechariah 9 and verse 9. It says that Jesus is a gentle king who would come and through his death and his resurrection would defeat all his enemies and then that he would gather his people from the four corners of the earth. Now that gathering is actually just beginning as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. In verse 17 at the end of it, the crowd there of believers who'd seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the tomb, it says here they continue to spread the words. And that is just part, the beginning, just a little introduction to this gathering of Jesus' people from the four corners of the earth. And that is just giving us, you see this Zechariah prophecy, it's just giving us a picture of what this donkey riding gentle king is going to achieve over this next weekend. Your king is coming. Your king is coming to his death. And through his death and his resurrection, this gentle king will begin to gather a people for himself. And he will do that from all nations on the earth, from Spain, as we saw earlier, from the UK, from every nation on earth. And then one day, he will return as the undisputed king, unresisted king, popular king, understood king, saving king, and gentle king of the universe. And when his people, when he returns, uh, and his people will gather, and he will extinguish all war and he will bring peace and all his enemies will be eternally defeated and he will reign as our gentle king over the whole universe forever. And all that because of next weekend and the events of the first Easter. Today, he's riding into town on a donkey. Our gentle king. And then because of next weekend, there will be a day when King Jesus gathers his people, ends war, brings peace, defeats his enemies, and rules forever. Let's pray. King Jesus, we rejoice as we see you coming to Jerusalem. We know what you are heading for. And we praise you that you were prepared to do that for us and we praise you Lord for the as we look ahead to next weekend Lord Jesus thank you that you are our gentle king coming to Jerusalem to die for us we pray Lord that you would help us to understand more of what you have done for us we pray, Lord, you help us to put our trust in you. We pray you'd help us to live for you.
for your name's sake. Amen.